0: There we go. So we're picking it up in James chapter 1 and verse 19 today. You know, if I was going to talk about something at, at, through the end of uh, chapter 1, I would just say that one of the big things, at least through the first several verses here, is we're talking about uh, the danger of self-deception. The danger of You know, it's one thing if the devil deceives us, if, if demons deceive us. But for us to deceive ourselves, wow, that's a problem. And James uh, t- uh, verse 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 22 talks about deceiving our own selves, deceiving ourselves. Uh, d- James 1, 26 talks about we deceive our own hearts. Um, if a Christian, you, you know, this is a serious matter when we end up deceiving ourselves because we're not being honest with ourselves. And that's going to be a problem. Um, we have a problem with people that, that tend to think that they're saved. They, they deceive themselves into thinking they're saved. And, and the day is going to come when they stand before the Lord and they're going, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and that? You know, Look at all these wonderful things we did for you. And uh, we didn't we perform miracles? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do these great and wonderful works for you? And the Lord's going to say, depart from me i never knew you you were never part of the family mm. you are workers of iniquity that's a tough that's a tough situation and, and so when we look at these passages this passage in james especially don't be like the guy who's going to we're going to be talking about when we get there where he looks into the mirror and walks away mm. And deceives himself into thinking he doesn't. You know, I read an article um, this weekend that talked about the, the people that were in uh, because we've been involved in this lockdown uh, for the pandemic for so long that people don't even recognize themselves when they look at themselves in the mirror. Oh wow! Whoa. <laughs> they have not spent any time, and and they don't. Re- you know, think about the fact that we're talking about people who. Are de- deceived, is you know that's that's not the real me. No. I don't look that bad, no, you know. I was looking at pictures of uh of uh Rick and and I and Denny and uh some others that were as we were traveling over to Italy
1: mm-hmm.
0: the first uh back in 17. <laughs> I looked a lot younger than I do now. My beard is a whole lot whiter. I couldn't believe how white it was compared to then. I'm thinking, man, have I age, it's not a pretty picture, but you know what? I it's because I'm looking and I'm going, I'm looking at myself going, wow, I'm really, I've really changed. We need to, to take an honest look at ourselves. Is what I'm saying. So as I've said that, let's, um, make sure that we uh, look at ourselves and understand what God has in mind for us as we look at this passage in James chapter one, starting in verse 19. I'll read through the end of the chapter. We won't get there. I know that, but we'll take a stab and I'm ready to go all the way through if possible. All right. So here we go. In James chapter one, verse 19 and following, it says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says." Anyone who listens to the word but does not do it, uh, what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Hmm. The man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Now, if any man If anyone considers himself righteous, yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. All right, that's the passage. I'm going to tell you, if I could just figure out how to live this this life. I would be near perfect. I would be. My problem is that I have a hard time doing it. You know, we're, we're taught, we talk about the fact that we have uh, responsibilities towards God, were God's word. And we are called to walk honestly uh, before God and before men. And, and the one thing we're told to do is to receive the word. And James talks in one, one, One passage, um, one translation talks about the engrafted word or the implanted word. Uh, It's almost as though uh, James is borrowing from the Lord's uh, parable of the sower. Remember, Jesus describes four kinds of hearts. He talks about the hard heart that did not understand or receive the word of God and and as, as a result bore no fruit. Talks about the shallow heart that's very emotional, but no depth, and again, no fruit. It talks about the crowded heart, you know, that lacks repentance and permitted sin to crowd out the word. And it talks about the fruitful heart. It received the word and allowed it to take root and produce the harvest fruit. So the final test, the final test of salvation is this. You want to know if you're saved or not? Check your fruit. Are you producing fruit? That's what the word of God says. What does that mean? Well, so often what it means is we tend to think it means one thing or another. Um, but let me just give you uh, some passages and, and some uh, concepts of what God says. This is fruit. This is good fruit. So in Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 16, it talks about winning souls for Christ as being good fruit. In, in Romans chapter 6, and verse 22, it talks about growing in a holy life. Uh, in Romans 15, 28, it talks about sharing our material possessions. Do we, do we contribute to those in need? Do we help? Do we help fund the church? Do we help fund uh, people that are, are in hurting, whether it's uh, personally or through an organization? Are, are we building spiritual character into our lives? Galatians 5, fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, long suffering, etc., cetera, etc. I happen to think, by the way, that that passage out of Galatians five—you've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. Uh, some of our, some of us are new, and we didn't study Galatians together. I believe it's a progressive thing. The fruit of the spirit is love. As you learn to love God, you create joy in your life. God creates the joy. As you have love and joy, you have peace. That passes all understanding, etc. And you can add to that. I think it's a progressive thing. And it only happens with time and patience and staying close to God. Good works is another thing. Um, Colossians 1.10. Good works. And even praising the Lord is considered fruitful. But the fruit of my lips in Hebrews chapter 13.15 verse 15. Now Religious works can be manufactured, but they don't have a life in them, nor do they bring glory to God. Real fruit has in it the seed for what? More fruit. So the harvest continues to grow and the fruit continues to grow and produce more and more and more fruit. If you get stuck, there's a problem. We need to back up and figure out what it is and keep, and then make sure that we are not that our our the land that we're growing in our hearts that we're growing our fruit on is 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 cultivatable that it hasn't uh, been become a a problem where it's just gotten hard and crusty and it can't receive the fruit or, or the seeds from the fruit that we've had that we've produced word of god talks about take in matthew uh for, excuse me, Mark 4, it says, to take heed of, to what you hear. Consider carefully what you hear. Jesus says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoa, really? Yeah, really. Uh, Luke eight, 18, it almost says exactly the same thing. It says, therefore, consider carefully what you listen, how you listen. Whoever will be given more, uh, who has, who, who has, Whoever has will be given more, and whatever does not have, whoever does not have, even what he thinks, he will be taken from him. In, in Matthew 13, it talks about hearing, they do not hear, neither do they understand. Hebrews talks about the fact that we're, that so, so often, sometimes we're dull of hearing. It's one thing that you can attend all the Bible classes, all the digs, all the church services, and never grow. If that happens, is it the fault of the teacher or the preacher that you don't grow? Is it? Whose fault is it if you don't grow? It's ours. Each of us has a responsibility of growing on our own. Too often, our problem is we think that if we go to church and we listen to the preacher speak, or we go to a Bible study and we listen to the teacher teach. We think that that's enough for us to grow. It doesn't happen that way. It's like when you're a baby, you can you start by spoon feeding them, right? While well, they nurse at a breast, then they they start to spoon feed. Eventually, they have to eat for themselves. If all you ever did was get, if all you ever did was was get fed by the preacher once a week. What would happen if you only ate ate food once a week? Wouldn't be too good, would it? Mm-mm. Be pretty malnourished. And so it is for us. We need to make sure that we're taking uh, nourishment on a daily basis. So that's what we're told. Now we're told to be swift to hear. I love in Matthew. It says, "Let him who hath ears, let him hear." Uh, and, and Romans 10:17 passage that Dan likes to, to uses a lot. Uh, he says, you know, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You have to hear it. It's it's important that you listen to and you learn to listen to hear the 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 Master's voice and respond quickly and appropriately. I'm reminded of, of the story. Maybe you remember this one well, of these days. We'll have to dig in and maybe we'll do a, another Old Testament study here sometime. I don't know. Uh, I see. Yeah. I see. <laughs> 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 How many years do you guys want to be with me? <laughs> as long as you as long have as, us, as long as, okay? Sounds like a plan, man. Um, <clears throat> in Second Samuel, David has been running from Saul for years. Saul's been trying to kill him. David can't get back to his hometown, Bethlehem. And he's in a place where he can see Bethlehem off in the distance. And he's hiding from the Philistines and they've taken possession of Bethlehem on top of it. So now he's fighting Saul, he's also fighting the Philistines. And he makes a comment about how much he would love to have a drink cool. from the well there in Bethlehem, yeah. and he says, "Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate." Three of his what 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 is known as like his mighty men. I'm I'm thinking they're the special guard. You know, they're the Praetorian guards or something. They're the they're the best of the best. They're the, I don't know, maybe they the Rangers or, or they're Special the Seals, the Special Ops. Yeah, they're, the, they're that kind of guy. If you read about the things that these mighty men accomplish, it's amazing. I don't think there's anybody around today that can do some of the things that these guys did back in the day. But three of them said, you know what? We're going to get our king a drink. And they go down to that well, and they get a drink, and they bring it back. And David is so overwhelmed that he pours it out as as kind of a thank you offering to them. He doesn't even take a drink of it.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Pours it out as as kind of a thank you for what you did. You know know what? Those guys were swift to hear. And they said, you know what? We're going to do it. We're gonna do whatever whatever God tells us. We're gonna do. Our leader says jump. We're jumping. Too often we're not swift to hear. And too often we're too swift to speak. You know, and someone has said we have two ears and one mouth. Maybe it ought to remind us to listen more than we speak. <laughs> And I have to honestly tell you, sometimes I'm really bad about that. I've already figured out what you're going to say. And I've jumped to the end of the, of the, your conversation long before you've gotten there. And I'm trying to answer your question long before. Thank you. Keith is nodding that I do this a lot. I appreciate that, Keith.
2: I think our, our wives love that. Yeah. Oh,
0: yes. Yeah. My, my wife... I was
1: speaking for Becky.
0: Oh, thank you, thank you. Well, yeah, I appreciate someone taking up her her cause. Oh man, too many times. You ever do this with God? We're we're not swift to hear, but boy, we're really swift to speak. We argue with God's Word. Have you ever done that? Yeah, I don't care. Maybe not audibly. I understand, but in our hearts, in our minds, in our actions. God says, this is what we're supposed to do. And we go, yeah, I don't think so. What are you doing? You're arguing with God. By the way, I've yet to win one of those arguments. Just saying, from personal experience, I have yet to win one. I've tried a few times, probably more than a few. You know, um, in Proverbs uh, 10, 19, it says, he who refrains his lips is wise. Uh, Proverbs 17 says he that hath knowledge spareth his words um, instead of being slow to speak the lawyer in Luke uh, uh, 10 you know when he says you know uh, he asked the Lord something and the Lord answers and then, of course he goes, comes back with who's my neighbor who's my neighbor and instead of you know and then the Lord just Lays it out there. What a great, you know, the good Samaritan. Um, you,
1: know, you know, I think uh, that includes sarcasm.
0: No. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Unfortunately,
0: I resemble that. I do. <laughs> we're not there yet, but you know, there's a problem with so often we, we have fights and wars among the brethren. You know, we're told. Uh, By this shall all men know you're my disciples, if you have love one towards another. And and of course, James 4, which we're not there yet, it's going to be months before we get there, just saying, Um, says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your own desires to battle within you? You go against each other, you know, so-and-so is getting ahead in the church and you want to make sure that he doesn't get ahead. Told uh, told a lot of things. We're told told to, to be careful about to be careful about uh, uh, being slow to anger. Man, man, I have a hard time with that sometimes. You know, I, my, my my I it does it finally it takes a while for me to finally get angry. When it does, it's a flash temper. And Ecclesiastes seven nine says, "Do not." Be, be quickly provoked in your spirit for anger resides in the lap of fools. And I think one of my problems is too often I tend to resemble that. Now, James now is going to talk about how to deal with testing. We've talked about that. Uh, Here's the test. You know, the zealot-like model, uh, which was really popular in Jewish Palestine at that time, which ultimately led to Jerusalem's destruction was not an appropriate response. Don't take up arms, don't go to war. Make sure you you can win a war if you're gonna do it. And, and James condemns not only violent acts, but also violent rhetoric that incites them. Just listen to a few of these things. These are all, this is all from the word of God. Most of this is from Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 29. A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. Proverbs 15, 18 says, a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. Proverbs sixteen thirty two, better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. That's wild. Because, you know, we all think the warriors are the best, right? Proverbs 19, 11 says, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is his glory to overlook an offense. Part of my problem is I want to be right. And when I'm right, I want you to know that I'm right. <laughs> and I want you to know that you're wrong. And I know I'm the only one that does that. I understand yeah. that. I, I, I struggle with that. How does
1: all all that fit into the judicial system we have here?
0: What do you think it does? What are we supposed to do when we're, when we're talking to believers and we're dealing with believers? Do we take them to court?
1: No. No. Supposedly.
0: Why? You, God tells us it's better, to let, it's better for us to suffer. And to lose than to take him to court. Why?
1: Well, because sometimes we're are
0: we trying to put Tom out of a job.
1: No, it's just sometimes hate leads to bitterness. Yeah, too. and that's a horrible place if ever met me. But it's older. It's really bitter. It's tough. Ooh.
0: I met a lady. It was a couple of years ago. Uh, I, she was introduced to me. I think I might have told you the story. I don't know, but it was in the lobby of Kensington at, at Detroit campus. She was. She had a complaint against her brother. Her brother had won the lottery, oh. and made a and had a lot of money. And the result of that is that he he would he did a lot of vacationing. And if he went to someplace and liked wherever he was vacationing. If it was, especially if it was some exotic place, he would occasionally go and oh, I don't know. He would uh, he'd buy a house, you know, mm. or a condo there, and it's because he'd be, he'd want to go back to there. She was upset because he wasn't sharing her w- with her any money. You know, he paid off her house, but it wasn't enough.
1: <laughs> oh wow. Well.
0: She was ready to take him to, you know, she wanted to take him to court or something like that. You really think that's the wise thing to do? I've told you about my the situation about four or five guys that, that helped bail a church out of a, a financial problem they had with a retirement center that they had built,
1: hmm. took
0: on the mortgage. Oh, wow. And, uh, uh, they came up with a deal, uh, and they were trying to get guys to buy into it one of them was my dad my dad looked at the figures and goes man if we do this he says we're going to be uber rich i mean, it's, I mean we're going to we're going to make millions off of this this deal from this off of this church he says i just don't think that's really the right thing to do and so he backed out. He, he wouldn't have anything to do with the deal. He refused to go into it. And um, I can remember him running around. You, you remember when when uh, uh, adding machines with the tapes? Oh, yeah. He had a tape that he was running around the church talking to these guys, <laughs> trying to convince them that it was not the right thing to do
1: uh,
0: to, to because it was going to just cause problems eventually. Well, several years later, all of those guys... Had, over time, had left that church, and with them, their money, hmm. and they were no longer contributing to the church. Guess what the church did? Oh, my God. took them to court. Oh, wow! They cheated us. They, they made, they took you. They made you, and they called my dad as a witness. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> my dad doesn't remember this because he's got you know really bad Alzheimer's. You know what? You know what he told him. This is anathema on both of your houses
1: oh, wow, from the
0: stand. She said, both of you are wrong. I told you that years ago, you guys were wrong in what you're doing. And I told you as a church, you're wrong in doing what you're doing because you're not supposed to take them to court. You knew about this because I told the two the two sides that this was going to be an issue. Dad didn't get rich. And as a result, neither did I, which is horrible. <laughs> You see a man who speaks in haste, there's more hope for a fool than for him. That's Proverbs 29. Matthew 12 says, but I tell you that men will have to give an account of the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. I wish I could scratch that verse out of the Bible.
1: I think I have. (laughs)
0: When you speak rashly, when you speak without, when you speak when you're angry, you make a mess of things. All I have to do is remind you of a little story that the prophet Nathan told King David about somebody who had stolen a little ewe lamb from this guy that only had one ewe lamb, and this other guy had lots and lots of lambs. And the king became angry and said, whatever happened to that guy, we're going to punish him. Or he's going to be put to death. Nathan looks at him and says, you're the man that did it. Bathsheba. Whoa. Swift to anger. Swift to speak. How about Peter? Slow to hear in the garden, swift to speak, swift to anger, almost killed a guy. I don't know if it was because he was he was half asleep when he jumped up, drew his sword. All he did is get a, knock a guy's ear off. Could have knocked his head off, but he missed. I don't know if it was just a bad aim or the guy ducked or yeah. who knows. Jesus ends up healing the guy. How many church fights are you aware of that are there, uh, that happen as a result of short tempers and hasty words? Perhaps what we should do is ask for someone to help clarify their, their response to us or their, their statement so that we can understand it better. In the process of doing that, maybe it gives us time to count to 10. Or 20? Or 100?
1: Or 490.
0: 490, yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> r- r- do, you, do, you, you, do you remember that the person that you're angry with was also made in the image of God, just like you were? I, I get beat up every time I go through this stuff. I just wanted to, I want to thank you guys for having us do this. This is really a, I really appreciate it, and I'm being sarcastic, and not at the same time. Someone said, and I I've heard it said. And I I don't know where it was. I but it, it was probably on a poster or something. Te, uh, temper is a ter, is a valuable thing. It's a shame to lose it. You know, a person who cannot get angry at sin does not have strength to fight it. But the problem is that James warns us against getting angry at God's word because it reveals sin in us. James seems to associate righteousness with peace and eventually in chapter five verse seven with non-resistance. Uh, I read this. I thought it was an interesting comment. The church has become divided over many issues. Some sought to use the church as a means to display wealth and and to exercise power. Others taught a doctrine of fellowship that denied the centrality of the command to love one's neighbors. Still others have shown obvious favoritism to the wealthy. Beyond this, however, the text hardly requires extraordinary imaginative powers to envision concrete examples in the contemporary church. (laughs) I think we've all seen examples of of those things that have happened in churches. So in in verse, uh, let's see here, what verse are we on here? we're, We're kind of bouncing around throughout this passage here says for a man's anger verse 20 for a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires you know I think James is talking about two things one human anger and righteous life now is it possible to be to have righteous anger yeah scripture tells us that tells us anger is an emotion and anger is, is appropriate uh, at times. But when is it not? Probably most of the time that we do get angry.
1: My, uh, my Bible has a footnote that gives an alternate translation to righteousness as justice. In other words, our anger does not produce the justice God desires.
0: Yeah, we're going to find that often... Uh, In scripture, justice and righteousness are juxtaposed.
1: Gary, can you read that again? Gary? Uh, Gary, Uh, can you read that again? Uh, Human human anger does not produce the justice God desires. Where is that at? It's it's a footnote in my Bible that gives an alternate translation to the term righteousness in in that verse. Yeah, in In James. James. Yeah, yeah 20. That,
0: in, in James 1, 20. 1.20. 1.20. Think, think about this. Is it possible that, that what James is doing is trying to instruct us to not to assume the mantle, mantle of righteous indignation? Because when we do so, we end up claiming the, the right to speak for God.
1: And the right to act for God, in terms of where, where do we usually go with anger, is vengeance.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's usually vengeance is probably not justice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, we're we're going to come back to this, but I'm going to, uh, well, I'm going to talk about it right for a second. You know, the problem we have too often is we want fairness. Is it what we think? We think that justice is fairness i do not sure that it is. I don't want it. I don't, I don't want, want that.
1: Fa- I, yeah. I don't want fairness. It's not uh, something I deserve. <laughs> yep.
0: You and me both. Hmm. There is uh, there there is a struggle. If I if I want God to be fair in how He treats, you know, I look and say, "Well, that's not fair. That so and so is getting getting ahead." Do I really want God to be fair? Because if he's fair, what do I deserve?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my yeah, kids George. are at that e- oh.
0: Your kids are at my that age.
1: Where everything is not fair, right? So-and-so gets, yeah. yeah and I'm getting that lesson all the time. <laughs> yep. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, thank you.
0: <laughs> all right, you know what? I just tell my kids, show me in the Bible where, where God's fair. He talks about fair is the way we should go, and I'll be happy to to give you fair because you don't want
1: fair. Amen.
0: (laughs) What I want is I want God's grace. Now, here's fairness. Fairness is what God does when he gives you justice. Now, the way God, God is both just, holy, righteous, he's also good and loving. How does that? How does that work out? Well, we talked about that at Easter. What? How did? How did God's justice prevail?
1: Jesus' death.
0: Jesus' death. What did Jesus? Why did Jesus die? Was Jesus in the wrong? Nope. Did he deserve to die?
1: Nope.
0: So he takes on the punishment, both physically and spiritually, for us. Is what we yeah. deserve.
1: Yeah, he assumed, he, con- see, he, he assumed our contract. Sorry. He assumed our contract. He assumed our covenant yeah. God. Yep. Yeah, he
0: took the punishment for us. And then as a result of that, we get his righteousness. I'm pretty sure that's not fair. Just
1: saying.
0: Hmm. <clears throat> so Anger has a proper place, a rightful place, but we need to be careful that we exercise prayer and thoughtfulness before we allow anger to run rampant in our lives. Matthew 5, which is from the Sermon on the Mount in verses 6 and 10, listen to this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Does that sound like a good deal? I'm blessed if I hunger and thirst for it, but if I but if I hunger and thirst for righteousness, I end up being persecuted. But it goes on to say, but theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We need to make sure that when we are angry, we are not, um, not avoiding listening to God and what he wants us to do. What's this? Let, let's take a look. We're talking about God's righteousness as well here. That was the other thing. The righteousness of God, you know. Uh, it does not bring about righteous life that God desires. What does that mean? What does righteous mean? So there are about four different translations. Just about through my Bible underground. The okay, there we go. Um, yeah, didn't want didn't want to deal with that issue. <laughs> throw it away. <laughs> um, we can talk about righteousness as it's an aspect of the character of God. Since God is righteous, he does not indulge in anger. Well, that's, he does get angry with us. He gets, uh, and, and neither should we. But it, it can also mean that God has a righteous standard. And because God expects us to be above anger, he demands this kind of righteousness out of us. Uh, the third possibility is the righteousness that God gives, that he grants us, uh, I'll, I'll, should help us not to become angry inappropriately. And then there's an eschatological righteousness that uh, uh, that God is the one who settles accounts. Remember, vengeance is mine, I will repay, you know, instead of us taking out vengeance.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you talk about righteousness, and, and you know, I, I, I think that, you know, there's God's righteousness, and, and what happens sometimes is man... Decides what he thinks God's righteousness is, and I, I think back. I, I just, I just read a a book that was, it was great. I mean, it actually brought tears to my eyes, and it's called Killing Crazy Horse,
1: mm.
2: and it's uh, it's by uh, Bill O'Reilly, the columnist. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bestseller. It it's an awesome book, but it 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 you know the, that's when they came up with you know man and the white man decided you know, came up with the doctrine of manifest destiny that, you know, that they were going to take out, you know, that it was God's, you know, righteousness that we should go out and, you know, conquer the entire United States. And, and what we did as, you know, white people to the native Americans. I mean, it, it was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And it was all in the name of, you know, God is telling us that this is what we're supposed to be doing.
0: Yeah, there's been a lot that has been done wrong in God's name. Yeah.
2: But I highly recommend that book. I mean, it, it was- Crazy made... Horse, huh? Killing Crazy Killing, Killing Crazy, Crazy Horse. Horse. Bill O'Reilly. Yep. I just read a book. I and mean, I read two, two of them in a row that were like very sobering. That one and then, you know, the- Killing
1: Lincoln or something.
2: Uh, the, he, he wrote Killing Lincoln as right. well. But, and so he's got like, tw- I couldn't believe the number of bestsellers that he's written. Yeah, yeah uh, he's,
0: he's written, the, yeah.
2: But the other one that I just read, and it was a movie that you may have seen. I mean, I read, I saw the movie years ago when it came out, a few years ago when it came out was uh, Just Mercy hmm. with, uh, by Bryan Stevenson. It's the story of the uh, the individual that was uh, uh, African-American sentenced to, to die on death row. And was, you know, uh, you know, was totally framed. And it was so obvious to everybody that he was framed. And it was the the sheriff, the prosecutor, they were so hell-bent on trying to find who murdered this girl at a cleaner's that, you know, he ended up getting, you know, arrested and convicted. And I mean, before he even was convicted, they put him on death row because they they figured that maybe he he'd confess uh when he saw how bad it was uh and and the book is you know replete with the things that that we did to african-americans as late as the 50s and 60s Mm -hmm. so in our in most of our sitting here most of our time frame we were we lived through some of that and uh it was just it's uh uh, I mean, sentencing 13-year-old, 14-year-old kids to to, to, to die uh, or to life imprisonment without parole, taking a 13-year-old, trying him as an adult, maybe a 13-year-old that was, you know, mentally impaired, I mean, significantly mentally impaired, and sentencing him to life imprisonment, and uh, that's what this... Uh, the book is all about the main story is the one about Walter McMillan, but the side stories about other like children that you know what happened to them when they were sentenced and placed in adult prisons. Uh, with with adults. Uh, it's, uh, unbelievable. Mm. But all it was called it, just mercy just mercy.
1: Yeah, I always
0: tell people. Adding to my reading list.
1: Yeah, but I don't think people realize how the depth of sin has changed our character.
0: Hmm, that's good.
1: And like I say, I think what when God looks at this stuff here like that, he he says, the receive with meekness the grafted word. Well, who is that? That's Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if we do really do grow, I mean, I, I got a long way to grow, but I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i hear you man i mean i was thinking just going through this study this go one quick simple eight people survived the flood and as soon as the thing's over noah gets angry
2: yep
1: <laughs> yep. yep it's sums. you know so we look at this
0: last, uh, and we're going to just end with this and because and, we're just about to the end of our time. I gave you four possible char- uh, uh, meanings of this idea of the righteousness of God or that God wants us to be righteous. I think that as I look at James, there's probably two options. The first one being that God, it's God who settles the account. That's the last one. And that comes out of James 5. And then I believe that the second option that God sets a righteous standard that he expects us to hold to. And I think that comes out of James chapter three, uh, where Christians are warned against cursing their fellow believers. I think both of these are probably are are in James' mind when he's writing this. And I would just say in closing, a couple of statements. One, outbursts of anger do not produce the kind of righteousness The righteous behavior that God desires to see in our lives. And two, righteous action does not spring from anger. Righteous action does not spring from anger. So when we get angry, we probably need to take a deep breath. Maybe hold it for a while. Maybe count. Maybe walk away and then come back. But deal with our deal with whatever needs to be dealt with in a way that's righteous and not with a way that's unrighteous and ungodly in our anger. It's okay to be angry. God tells us we can be angry at sin. But God asks us to, to love our neighbors. Just remember, we don't want to be like the the lawyer who said, Who's my neighbor? <laughs> All right. That will end our recording for the moment.